my favorite things I get to do every Sunday is crack open my Bible and get into the Word. Go through line upon line, precept upon precept, preach and teach the Word of God. Do you enjoy that part of your Sunday morning too? Getting into the Word and, and letting it come alive to you. You know, I, we say it a lot. It is a living, powerful book that is active. It is a word that goes beyond natural understanding. It's a word that gets down in your heart and when it gets there it changes you. Isn't that right? Well this morning if, if you were with us last week you'll be familiar with where we're headed. We're going to continue on with the series we began last week. I am the instrument. And as if you were here, you would have heard us talk about 2 Timothy 2.20 last week where the word says that in a great house there are many vessels, some, for, some made of gold and silver, others of wood and clay, some for honorable, some for dishonorable. And we established a few uh, principal things uh, last week as we began this series. And, and what we said was that um, we are an instrument. We redefine the word instrument. We look deeper into that, how many times we may think of musical instruments, but really the term instrument can be used to describe any tool, any, any vessel, any utensil, anything that is used for a delicate work would fall under the definition of an instrument. And so we are a tool, a vessel, a utensil, or we could say an instrument in God's house used for good work that he's prepared for us. We talked about how we are in the house. Amen. We're in the house regardless of how great of an instrument we look like or how, how useful we are in the present moment. That we're in the house because Jesus bought us by his blood and because such a great price was paid to obtain us, he's not going to get rid of us just because maybe I'm not as useful today as I ought to be. Just because I've got something broken or I've got something dirty into me in me today does not mean that I am not valuable to God because he purchased us with such a great price. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today. Um, we also talked about how we have value and we're useful, but we can grow in our usefulness. We can grow in what we said, an awareness of righteousness. And when we become more aware of our righteousness, we become more effective as an instrument of God. And, and we looked at um, eight different things that were found in 2 Peter, um, which are steps to becoming aware of righteousness, to not forgetting or becoming blind of the righteousness that Christ has obtained for us. And we said that even though we can move up, God still wants to use us who and how we are today. Aren't you glad for that? That God can use you wherever you're at. He doesn't need you to, to get to a certain point before he can begin using you, before he begin working with you. He can use you wherever you're at because you are now a child. You are righteous. And the more aware of your righteousness you become, um, the, the, we said the more honorable of a work you'll be able to do. And it's because as we become more aware of our righteousness and begin implementing it into our life, we begin to change. And we, as we become aware of it, we, become, we begin to express it in the way we live our life. You know, it's something that happens in our spirit first, and it comes out of our spirit into our, our earthly walk, into our earthly life. There's a change that begins on the inside that over time begins to manifest and express itself on the outside. And the further we go along that process of understanding the change that's happened on the inside, and the further we go with taking what's happened on the inside and beginning to express it and manifest it on the outside, the more honorable of a work we'll be able to do. Isn't that good? So we've got areas to move up. This is the good news. We've got more areas to grow in. Anybody in here got an area to grow in? I know I have a few areas to grow in where we can become more aware of our righteousness, more effective for God. And the, I like that because it means I'm, I'm not done growing. I've got more to do. As long as I'm here on earth, God's going to have greater things for me to learn, greater things for me to step into tomorrow than even what I'm experiencing and walking out today. I, I don't know about you, but I love growing in the things of God. You know, I, I didn't always love educating or, or getting educated. I didn't always love having to be developed or growth because sometimes it's not always fun or sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it takes work to grow. But let me tell you what, there is nothing like growing in the things of God. There is nothing more satisfying or, or, or uh, fulfilling than growing in the things of God. And so I'm committed to a life of growth. Do I have anybody else in the house this morning that's committed to a life of growth with God? Amen. 
Well, this morning I want to continue on with kind of this same thought, and, and I don't want to talk so much on, on this process of, of growing as an instrument, rather I want to begin discussing some of the things that I am created for. You know, instruments are created to serve a purpose, and I know that you and I as Christians, as new believers, as instruments, vessels, utensils, and duels of God, we're created for a purpose. Do you believe that? Well, this morning as we start in Proverbs 19.21, I believe that we're going to get some insight to the way that purpose comes into life. Proverbs 19.21 in the New Living Translation reads this way. It says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. You know, this is a, a verse I've seen lived out in my life many times where I've got plans, I've got an idea of how things are supposed to go, but the Lord's purpose in me goes beyond and above those plans. You know, per plans, we could say, are our part. Plans are the thing that we get to make, but the Lord has a purpose for our life that goes beyond our plans. I make plans out of my own understanding. I make plans out of my own knowledge. If I'm, if I'm trying to be the instrument God wants me to be, then hopefully I'm making plans based on the leading of my spirit, which is something we're going to talk about more today. I make plans based on my limited understanding and knowledge, but God provides a purpose for me that is part of his omnipotent, totally powerful, totally understood perspective of me and my life and the world in which I'm living. You know, he is our creator, which means he knows every detail about us. You know, there's things about me that I don't know. Anybody else in here that have some things about you that you don't know? You're still working through them. You're still trying to figure them out. Well, God knows everything about me. And we're going to read a verse later this morning that talks about how he formed us and, and stitched us together in our mother's womb. He saw every part. He created every part. Our whole being, my mind, my will, my emotions, my soul, my flesh, my spirit, he knows me because he created me. And so because he is the creator, I believe that he has a better insight into my purpose than I have. Do you believe that this morning, that God has a better insight to the purpose for your life than you have? And so I believe it's very important that we do this. We are to plan, but we must get our purpose from God. If I try to make my own purpose up, I'm doing it in a limited understanding. And so it may fall short of what God really created me for. You know, I, I may, to go with our illustration of instruments, I may have been a, a guitar-equipped to, with, with, you know, a, we could talk about an electric guitar that's equipped with all the internal electrical elements so that I can play in a big auditorium with big speakers and make tons of sound, but I might be playing like I'm an acoustic because that's the purpose I picked for myself. And I'm going to short circuit, well, short circuit was an electrical term. I'm going to compromise the fullness of the plan God had for me because I'm limiting my purpose to my own understanding. Whereas if I instead would look to the spirit and to the word and seek the purpose God created me for, well, then I'm not going to come up short of the fullness of what God wants. Anybody want to get into the fullness today? Find the purpose and get a greater purpose for life than what I can find for myself. And so I think the question that I, I, I run into, and I, I have talked with many other people that we run into is, if I'm an instrument, then what was I created to do? What kind of delicate work was I created for? Another way to phrase that question could be this. What's my purpose? Has anybody ever faced that question? You don't have to raise your hands this morning, but have you ever faced that question? What is my purpose? What am I here to do? You know, I spent a couple years as a youth pastor. Before I came here and began pastoring at Abundant Life, I was a youth pastor for two and a half years. And over that time, it seemed like every student I talked to encountered this question. And I thought, well, you know, maybe that it's probably just because of the phase of life they're in. You know, it's probably just that that's a, a time where you got all your options in front of you. But then I started talking to adults and I realized adults ask that same question. What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? Anybody ever been in a place where you're seeking direction and you're like, God, would you just show me what I'm supposed to do? I've been there. I'm making the plans 
but I need to get the purpose from him. And it's okay to make plans based on the knowledge that you have. That's what it says here in Proverbs is that we make the plans, which means we're doing it out of our understanding, out of our knowledge, out of the information and word that we've heard. But God has a purpose. And when we seek after his purpose, we will make our plans in accordance with that. We will plan based on the purpose. You get that? We plan based on our purpose. And so this morning, I want to find my purpose so that I can adjust my plans. Isn't that good? I want, to, I want to find my purpose so that I can adjust my plans. So that my plans don't carry me away from the purpose that God has for me. This morning, I, I want to talk first because I, I like to balance out what we talk about. And I'm going to talk this morning quite a bit about um, some of the doing that we do. Some of our role as an instrument or a tool, uh, a vessel of God. Some of the things we're intended to do. But I, I want to balance that out by saying that we are loved regardless of that. And so I'm going to begin there this morning talking about that we are loved and valued by God despite our, our great purpose or, or, or our great works or our lack of works. Whether we are doing everything we could possibly do for the kingdom of God or we're doing almost nothing, God loves us and God values us. And we're going to look to that first because I want to make sure that I, I, I don't preach so heavy on the doing, on the works, that people walk away feeling like, well, I didn't do anything, so maybe God doesn't love me. He loves you. He values you, regardless of that purpose. And so I want to begin there, and then we're going to work into um, four purposes that God has for every single one of us. That's where I want to start in part two of this, this series is four things that God has intended for every single one of us. And then I believe where we're headed with this series is in a coming week. What I want to talk about is getting the direction and getting the word from the spirit on finding a more specific purpose. Making plans based on, on my specific purposes because in, you know, in an orchestra there are many instruments and they have specific roles, but they also have general roles. Everyone has to follow along with the music that's written. You know, every instrument has that part of their purpose, that I'm going to play the music that's written here. Now, my music might look a little different in some circumstances, but I'm going to play the music along with everyone else. I'm going to follow the conductor along with everyone else. I'm, I'm going to sit in my, my place like everyone else is. I'm going to bring my instrument up to prepare to play when the time to come plays. I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring my instrument to the, to the show. You know, if somebody was in a band and they just didn't show up with their instrument, that could cause a problem, right? Everybody has that, that shared Purpose that I have to bring my instrument because I'm going to play my instrument. Everybody has that same purpose of I'm going to play my instrument when the time comes. And so just like that in an orchestra, how there are many instruments that have individual roles, but there are also shared roles. And just like that with the kingdom of God, with us as instruments in his house, we have individual purposes, but we also have collective purposes. Things that we all have to do to be part of that same song. That same sweet, sweet song that we're going to be, well, singing, working, doing for our king. You want to be part of that song this morning? A collective effort of the whole body of believers, all fulfilling their role, doing as an instrument what we're supposed to do so that we make a sweet sound for our king. Isn't that a good picture? Amen. Well, let's look at that this morning. We're beginning by talking about being loved. We are loved. We are valued despite our good or bad works. First John 419 is where I begin with this. And this is the statement I want to I want to pose to you as we start into this section of the message this morning. We are not loved based on what we do. Rather, we are loved based on who he is. We're not loved based on what we do, but on who he is. It's who God is that provides love and value for me, not what I do. And that's a difficult thing, I think, for, and I don't know if this is a worldwide thing, but I can speak to the society and culture I know. It is hard as an American to say, whatever I'm doing does not determine my value or love. Have you ever noticed that in the present day and age, our value to others is largely dependent on what I'm doing? I work really hard. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great friend. I, I do these things for you. I do these things for you. Have you ever had a conversation with someone? Usually the second thing you say after what's your name is what do you do? Have you ever noticed that? What do you do? It's, it's so like central to how we identify ourselves. 
And what we talked about in our previous series, Unrefined But Defined, is that my definition doesn't come from what I'm doing, but it comes from my God. And so we have to understand that first before we can get a hold of this, that my definition doesn't come based on what I'm doing, but it comes based on who he is and who he's made me. We're not loved based on what we do, but on who he is. 1 John 4.19 tells us a little bit about this. It says we love him because he first loves us. And then I want to go right next to Romans 5.8 and read that scripture. It says, but God demonstrates, demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now I can prove to you what I'm saying with these two scriptures. We, we love him because he first loved us. So his love came first. So now my question is, when did his love come in? Well, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Which means God chose to love me before I had accepted him. God chose to love me before I had cleaned myself up at all. God chose to love me before I began doing anything as one of his instruments. So his love, what I see, is not dependent on my doing. God's love is not dependent on our doing because he chose to love us before we would or could do anything for him. Do you see that this morning? That the love isn't dependent on the doing. You know, I do believe, though, that while we begin doing for God as we come into his house and this is kind of what we were talking about last week there will be um, some change that comes to us Um, I had a couple pictures and I don't think we got them on the computer tonight today but um, what what I had and maybe you can visualize this as I speak to it what I had gone online and found were these two pictures one of of this old like crusty rusty piano I mean it it was kind of like this it was a grand piano like this Except all the paint, all the stain was, was faded. It was, it was tarnished. It didn't look pretty. It wasn't shiny or anything. The keys were worn down. And I saw this picture and I thought, hmm, I think sometimes when we come into the kingdom of God, that's the condition we come in. We come in like a piano or, or an instrument or a tool that, that's worn down, used up. Sure, we could say something kind of like that. Mine wasn't quite this extreme, but you get the picture. I mean, this really, this really does it. It was any, I don't want you to raise your hand, but just internally, were you ever like this before Christ? When you came to know Jesus, did you look like this piano or did you look a little bit more like, like this piano? You know, what's interesting about the kingdom of God is that because our master, because the king is one who cleans up, who makes better, who improves conditions. We can come in looking like this and leave looking like this. We, well, I don't ever want to leave. I shouldn't have said we leave looking like that. But over t- the longer I'm in the house, the better I begin to look. The longer I'm in God's house, the better I begin to look. And I believe that the reason for that is what we talked about last week. That I start becoming aware of my righteousness. As I become aware of righteousness, I can go from that old decrepit piano into a a pretty, nice, valuable looking instrument for the king. I believe this too, though, that we can also kind of have the other experience where we're, if we're not in God's kingdom, and this is kind of what we probably have experienced outside of the kingdom of God, is you can come in looking like this, but the, the longer you walk in the world's kingdom, the more you begin to look like the other. And what it tells me is the kingdom I'm living in adjusts my condition. My my condition depends on the kingdom I'm in, the house I'm in. And I I was just thinking about how, you know, growing up I worked for a number of different individuals. And my dad was a really particular kind of guy where, you know, he took really good care of his stuff. Anybody know someone like that? They just like you take really good care of your stuff. I mean, he was like changing the oil like 500 miles before it was time to. He, he was like washing stuff. I mean, we get a nice day. Kids, we're washing the vehicles. Like, let's go out. We're going to vacuum them. We're going to sponge them down. We're going to get stuff nice. We're cleaning up the shop today. We're, we're, you know, kept things nice. Praise the Lord. Well, not everybody's like that. I'm not necessarily always like that. 
And I, I've worked for people who weren't always like that. Where, where, you know, rather than getting done with a job, okay, now we got to clean everything up. It's like, I ah, park it in the shed. Well, we'll, we'll it's going to get dirty next time. Is there anybody out there who, like, you make your bed just perfectly every day? You, you make it nice. You get those corners tucked. And then there's the people who you roll out of bed and you're like, I'll come back to it. I'm going to sleep in it tonight anyway, so I make it. <laughs> you see, there's kind of this attitude of like, well, well, I just I keep things nice. And, you know, when you do that, the condition usually improves. Because when something breaks, it gets replaced. When the paint fades, you paint it again. And that's God's kind of kingdom. That as things begin to deteriorate, he begins to fix what's broken. Heal what's fading. Well, the world's kingdom is, and I'm not saying if you don't make your bed every day that you're in the kingdom of the world, okay? But like, it's kind of that idea of as it gets used up, as it gets worse, there's not restoration put in. And so I think as we walk life, as we live life, we begin to get insight into what kingdom we're living in. What, what awareness we're living in. Am I living in the awareness of what my God has done for me? Or am I still living like I'm in the world? You know, and I think it's that awareness of righteousness or not, that blindness to it, that's going to depend on our condition and prepare us for honorable works or the dishonorable. And this really isn't the primary thing I was wanting to preach about this morning, but I feel like I'm coming back to it. Let's go on to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Because I think we're going to get further insight to this topic of righteousness and how God loves us. And, and really, that's kind of the, the general umbrella point that I'm under right now is God loves us. And because he loves us, he takes care of us. Do you see that? We're part of a household where because he values us, he takes care of us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, I think, further speaks to this. It says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And I wasn't planning to speak to this point, but I think given what we've just talked about, it's appropriate. God gave scripture for a reason. God gave scripture out of love because he wants us to be cleaned up. It says it's profitable. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. We come back to that again. Instruction in righteousness. I think that kind of sums up these other three points. Profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Well, as I begin to understand doctrine and I'm reproved and corrected I'm, I, and instructed, I'm going to live in righteousness. I want to live in righteousness. Because righteousness is what takes me from that one piano and, and begins to make me look like something valuable. See, God, we said in our last series, he looks at us through potential perspective rather than our current circumstance. God looks at a piano like that and he sees that. But the process of us becoming aware of our righteousness is the part where we turn from that into that. that. That's the process of the keys being replaced, the exterior being repainted, becoming aware of righteousness. Isn't that good? That we can become aware of righteousness this morning. And the whole point for that, you know, I, I used to struggle with this thought. I grew up in church and I, I understood, you know, these are the things I'm supposed to do. These are the things I'm not supposed to do. Has anybody have, ha, ever had that oversimplified kind of law version of Christianity where it's like, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And if I do this stuff, I'm, I'm good and God loves me. But if I do this stuff, I'm in trouble. Have you ever thought that way? Well, I used to. I believe that you know, part of becoming aware of righteousness is changing that mindset out where, where I'm not solely like, I'm, I'm not solely defined by God on what, if I'm in this category or if I'm in this category, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm not an either. I'm in the love of God, which is a category all its own. There's the good works, there's the bad works. And then there is, I'm a child of God who is righteous because of Christ and I'm loved by him. And out of that, I'm going to choose to do these good works. I'm going to be used as a righteous instrument, an honorable instrument. And it all happens because God loves us and he loved us first. He gave us the word. You know, and this is kind of what I was getting to with that whole category thing is I used to see, you know, the, the guideline of scripture as a hindrance in life. God 
Why don't you like me? Why, why can't I do this thing that I want to do? Why, why did you give me this commandment to not lie? It would just feel better to do that. But what I realize is it was out of love that he gave me that commandment. You know, it's beneficial to me that I have a guideline to live in. And it was love that provided that for me. Do you see it that way this morning? That is, it is the word which equips us and trains us and reproofs us and corrects us in righteousness. And I want to be in righteousness, don't you? So God loves us. I wanted to also say First uh, John 4, 8, kind of furthering this point. Um, it's going to come up here in a second. I'll read you this. The explanation for God's love. So I'm thinking about God's love and, and what I thought to myself is, and I've asked myself this before, why did God choose to love me? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Man, if you ever want to get humble real quick, ask yourself this question. Why did God choose to love me? Well, I believe this, the explanation for God's love preceding ours is that he loves based not on what you are currently doing for him or even on the potential that you have for someday. Rather, God loves you because love is God's defining attribute. Love is what and who God is. It says this, he who does not love does not know God for God is love. God is love. And I thought to myself, why would God choose to give up his only son to buy me? And that's a humbling. I'm telling you, if you ever want to get humble, ask yourself this. Because it takes you there real quick. It's like, why would God do that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, would I give up if I had an only son? Would I give him up for the person I was before Christ? Or even the person I am now? I mean, I would want to say no. But God is love. And because he's love and he saw a greater purpose, he chose to love me. And what I'm getting at with this is that God's love is not dependent on you. God's love for you is not dependent on you. And that's good news because if it was, I might not have God's love. It's good news. But it's also humbling because you got to realize that I can't do anything to earn God's love. I can't do anything to make myself worth his love. I can't earn it. Praise God that we don't have to earn it, but also glory to God that I can't earn it. Humble myself before God that I can't earn it. It's both sides. It's thank you, Lord, for this. And thank you that I'm, I'm humble now that I know I can't earn your love. I can't earn the righteousness that Christ bought me. I, I could never earn that. So it's good news. God loves us. Do you see that this morning? You're loved. You're valuable by God. And it's not because of what you did. It's because of who he is. Amen. He is a good God, a loving father. And so this morning... Um, for the last bit of time we have today, and we have a little bit of time left, so I'm feeling good about getting through most of this. Um, I want to tell you this. We are not a single purpose people. We're not a single purpose instrument, a single purpose tool, so to speak. You know, I, I think we're more like a multi-tool. We're more like the, the pliers that have the knife and the screwdriver and the other kind of screwdriver and the bottle opener and all the other stuff in it. That's more what we're like. We've got multiple purposes. And so this morning, um, I hope that as we get into the four purposes for all God's instruments, you see a few of kind of the, the fun little things that pop out of you. A few of your fun little purposes in your multi-tool life. All right. And there are going to be some, which I, I hope we get to in the next couple weeks, where they are specific to you. But there are also those that we all have. We have shared purpose as well as specific purpose. And so Titus 3.14, I wanted to say this to show you that we are a people of multiple purposes. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, plural. Works, plural. Which means there are, are multiple good works that God wants to do with me. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just have one thing for you to do? 
one, one purpose for you. You know, there are multiple, there's a, we could say a plurality of purpose where God wants me to be involved in a number of things. He has more than one purpose for my life. And so this morning I want to get into four of those. I did tell you we were going to read Psalm uh, 139. This is that scripture that talks about him knitting us together. If we can pull it up, we'll read that together. And I want you to see here that God knows what my purpose is because he created me. And also, it'd be really easy for God to, to form me with multiple purposes in mind. You know, I think mankind has general purposes, and then me, a specific person, I have individual purposes. So because I'm mankind, I have general purposes, but because I'm me, I have specific purposes. So today we're going to get into the general, and then in the coming week we're going to talk about the specific. Psalm 139, 13, and 16, this shows the power of God. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. By him, marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, and skillfully you wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written the days fashioned for me. When, as yet, there were none of them. That means before I've lived anything out, as I was being put together in my mother's womb, God had purposes planned for me. And so now I live my life making my plans based on his purpose. Amen. Based on that purpose that he put in me when I was formed in my mother's womb. We, we said last week, I think it's Romans eleven twenty nine 29, that the calling of God is irrevocable. You want to know why it's irrevocable, what God has purposed for you to do? Because he put it in you when you were being created in, his, in your mother's womb. At the very moment of your creation, God put purpose in you. Isn't that good? It just speaks to God's greatness that at the beginning, at my very beginning, is when he had purpose in mind for me. And so at this point in service, what I want to do is talk about four purposes for all of God's instruments. These are the general purposes that we all share as instruments in the house, instruments in God's orchestra. And so as we ask ourselves this question, what kind of instrument am I? What is my purpose? These are four things that I can tell you, based on scripture, are for every single one of us, all right? And so if you're a list person and you like your lists of what am I supposed to do, Here's one of the lists that I can give you based on scripture that we're all supposed to do. Okay, this isn't the message where I, I mean, I'm not going to call everybody up and have a word for everybody that you're supposed to be this and you're supposed to do this. The spirit will speak to you about what your purpose is. He will reveal it to you. And actually, we're going to talk about that. It's like the first, it's my first purpose here. But these are things that based on the word, we know that we're all called to do. We are all created to do. We all have this purpose. And so when we're making our plans in life, what I want to encourage you in today is that we ought to make our plans with these purposes in mind. And that's really what it comes down to is we are still responsible to make our plans in life. That's what Proverbs said. We make our plans, but God made our purpose back when I was created. And so because the purpose is this, I will make plans in accordance with it. He still leaves it up to us to plan it out, but we need to plan within his purpose. Amen. And so the first purpose that I believe all of us have is this. We are an instrument for carrying the spirit. We are an instrument to carry the spirit. What that says is one of my purposes one of the things God made me to do was carry the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. Ephesians 1 verse 13 says this, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. When we were saved in Christ, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That means if you've been saved... The Holy Spirit has sealed your life. He has come into your life. We're going to go on and read a couple of other scriptures and then, and then we'll talk about it some more. Acts 2 verse 38. 
speaks to the Holy Spirit in our life as well, in our role as an instrument to carry the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There again we see, at salvation, I am to receive the Holy Spirit. And then 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Or do you not know... That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. We have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. You know, I particularly like the imagery that, that I get out of 1 Corinthians 6.19 because we're described as a temple. And, and this is kind of deviating from the example of an instrument. But we're the temple. You know, I thought about the temple. And in the Old Testament, the temple, um, or, or we could even say the, the tabernacle, uh, for a time in Israel, the place that God would come and meet with people was a tent. And when they went somewhere, they'd put the tent up. And when they went somewhere else, they'd take it down and, and put it up somewhere else again. Well, then when they came into Jerusalem and they began to possess the promise, they built a great temple. And we've read about that in some of our offering, um, tithe and offering times where they gave towards the building of this temple. Well, it was a great and a majestic building made so that God's presence would come and meet with them in that place. So that his spirit would fall in that place and they could meet with God. Well, in the New Testament, we no longer have a, you know, even this church building, it's not a temple. We don't come here so that we can meet with God in, in this physical room. Because our temple is us. You are the temple. It's no longer a physical building. It's a people is where God's spirit meets with earth. And so my role, one of my purposes as a Christian, one of God's designs for mankind was that his spirit could be carried by me. Isn't that awesome? I was made to carry the very spirit of God. I'm the instrument that carries God's spirit. See, in the New Testament, the temple had been wiped out when Israel fell. There wasn't a physical building. God made provision for that. And here's the other thing. This is cool, too. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit wasn't just for the people of Israel. It wasn't for one physical nation. God is so great. That he saved you and me for a time on earth that we could be used as the instruments to carry God's spirit. You could have been born like thousands of years ago and you wouldn't have had to carry God's spirit because there would have been a temple in Israel where the spirit met. You and I were formed and created for this time so that we could carry God's spirit into the world. We, we are the mobile temple. We're the mobile temple. The mobile place where God's spirit can meet and touch and speak and minister to this whole world. Because Jesus said, this is, this is a message that's going to go out into the whole world. Well, you can't pick up a, a hundreds or thousands of tons temple and carry it into every part of the world so God's spirit can meet with the people. God made provision for his plan. He made provision for his purpose by making us an instrument that could carry the spirit. Isn't that awesome? So I'm part of a great plan of God that I'm supposed to take God's spirit out into the world. This physical church building is not the one and only place in Jefferson that God's spirit is supposed to meet with people. God's spirit is supposed to touch people in every moment of every day, wherever you're at. Because you're the temple. You're the instrument used to carry God's spirit into the world. I want to give you a few more scriptures on this before we moved on, move on to the next purpose for us. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And this gets me excited because it tells me that God doesn't just want His Spirit to lay dormant on the inside of me, never touching the world, never reaching out, never speaking out. God's Spirit is supposed to manifest, become real, in encounterable. And it's within each one of us for the profit of all. God wants His Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the tongue, 
that the Holy Spirit, it's the evidence of speaking in tongues and the filling of the Holy Spirit. He wants that to manifest in your life as you carry his spirit into the world for the profit of all. It says it's given to each one so you can't argue that, oh, well, I don't. Yeah, pastor, you manifest the spirit up there on Sunday morning. That's great. That's not me. That's not what the word says. 1 Corinthians 12 says it's given to each one. Every single one of you, if you have received Christ, then you have received the Spirit. And it's given to you to manifest for the profit of all. For the profit of us here. Because we need all the gifts in operation. And let me tell you something, I don't have all the gifts. Praise God that it's not up to one person. It's a whole body of believers all manifesting the Spirit in the way that they're supposed to. And it's given for the profit of all. All of us here, but also, I believe, all of them out there. You know, if, if the world is going to experience God, you know, we read in the Old Testament and in the New Testament about manifestations of God's presence on earth. We, we read about things like the pillar of fire and the cloud. We read about things like people getting healed. You know, other, other tongues, gifts of, of, of prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge. I mean, there, there is scripture after scripture about the manifestations of the Spirit. And I just, I got to tell you, it's not just for the people that went to Bible school. It's for every person who has been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's for every believer who has been created as an instrument to carry the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that this morning? Acts 2 verse 4, familiar verse I'm sure for many of us, is uh, speaking to the day where the Holy Spirit came in to believers, where he, he filled believers in this way for the very first time. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, our role in this way as an instrument of God, vessel is, is probably, you know, vessel or, or maybe we could say a pot would be the best tool or instrument to describe, okay? We're like a, we're like a pot. And, you know, we, well, the Word says that if we've been saved, we've received the Holy Spirit. But in what measure have we received is, is my question. Have we been filled? Baptized, which means submerged and pulled out. Well, when you submerge a pot in water, it comes out full of water, doesn't it? And I believe that God's intent for us isn't that we live life a quarter full of the Spirit. He wants us to be instruments filled with the Spirit of God. And I think this too, the more Spirit that's in you, well, the easier it's going to be to manifest the Spirit, because there's more of Him there. If, if there's more of me in my life than there is Spirit in my life, is there's, if there's more of my flesh exposed in life than there is Spirit in my life, well, it's going to be hard to overcome my flesh and, and let the manifestations of the Spirit. And so we need to be full of the Spirit of God, baptized and filled in the Holy Spirit. And I said that earlier, the evidence of that, we believe, is speaking in other tongues, a heavenly language. And, and there are scriptures I want to give you, but I'm, I'm running out of time. I feel like I need to give them because I want to back what we're talking about up with the word. 1 Corinthians 14, 2 says, for he who speaks in a tongue, I'm going to go through these quickly. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. It's a heavenly prayer language between you and God. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. My mind doesn't understand it, but it makes sense to my spirit. It's praying out of my spirit, not out of my mind. That's good. And it is something that speaks to God. You know, God created every single part of you, so he understands every part of your prayer life. He understands when it's your mind praying, but he understands when it's your spirit praying. And maybe you don't know the words you're speaking out in another tongue, but God knows. Romans 8 verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Acts 10 46, For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Speaking in other tongues magnifies God. 
I want to live a life that's magnifying to God. I believe that's one of my primary roles and as an instrument is to magnify God. And so speaking in other tongues, if it's going to do that, I'm going to speak in other tongues because I want to magnify God. And even in tongues, um, I, I could give, we, we'll have another time where we talk more in depth about this, but there are variations in tongues for different reasons. And that's been, that's something that I believe that, that various segments of the church and Christianity have preached at times in, in wrong light. Um, there are, there's tongues that are signs to unbelievers. There's the gift of tongues like we read about in 1 Corinthians. There's um, intercession like we just read about here. But there is also a personal prayer language in other tongues. And they are variations within tongues. You know, they, they may sound the same on the outside, but, but they have different purposes. And so I'm not saying that every single person is going to have the, the gift of tongues for interpretation as a manifestation of the Spirit in a service. But I believe that it is God's intention that every person who is filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit should speak in other tongues as a personal prayer language. To magnify God and speak out those mysteries which we do not even understand. Hallelujah. So that is our first purpose as God's instrument, I believe, is to carry the Spirit. Anybody in here want to carry the Spirit? As an instrument of God. Amen. The second that I see, and we may only get through two today. The second instrument I believe we are supposed to be is an instrument for worship. I believe this is another purpose we were created for is to be an instrument of worship. Isaiah 43, 21. And if you've been coming on our Wednesday night studies, which if you haven't, I just, I'm going to throw a plug out for them. They have been so good. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the one who teaches them. They have been good because the content in them is, it is apologetics, it is deep, and it is all word. I mean, those Wednesday night studies, anybody in here been coming to those? Have they been good? Can I get an amen? amen. They've been good because not only are we, we discovering truth for today that's relevant for today that's in the word but we also discuss um, some common questions apologetic kind of questions that we face in 2020 and how to overcome those and and answer those defend what we believe with the scripture and so it's it's just been really good one of the things we've been talking about is creation and so at creation we well we we cross-reference with some of these scriptures that talk about what we were created for. In fact, this next week we're going to be talking about Adam and Eve, and we're going to get into a lot of word about man being created and what we were created for. So if you've been coming and hearing a lot about being created for worship, and you hear about it today, and then you come Wednesday and you hear about it again, just know, maybe God's trying to tell you, you were created for worship. So don't hold back when you're worshiping. Amen. Isaiah 43, 21 says this, This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise. This people I have formed, I have created, I have made for myself. We were made by him, for him. They shall declare my praise. He says it right along with, he, he, he says, I've made them for me. And he goes on and, and he says, they shall declare my praise. That tells me that I was created for him. So that I can praise him. I was created for him. So I could worship him with the fruit of my lips. With my praise and worship. Psalm 95, 6 and Psalm 100, verse 4. We're going to read both of these. They speak to this point as well. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And then enter in Psalm 104, 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise be thankful to him and bless his name this is i believe the attitude of worship the attitude of praise that we ought to come before god with you want to know what it means to be made by him for him so that we can praise him i believe if we look at these two verses in psalms we see what that's like let us worship and bow down let us kneel before the lord our maker Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful and bless his name. Hallelujah. Let my life be like that to God, both in word and action. Let me be someone who praises my God. Who, as we said earlier, I humble myself. You know, bowing down before someone is absolutely an act of humility. And whether you physically have to get on your knees sometime and bow down before your king, or it happens maybe in another way, Maybe for you, bowing down doesn't look like during praise and worship doing this. Maybe bowing down means I'm not going to watch that extra game 
tonight because I haven't read my Bible like I should. Or maybe it means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up listening to that or, or going there or, or doing this. This is an act of me bowing down in worship. It is a sacrifice for my king because I was made by him for him. And so I want my life not only in speech, in song, but in action to worship him. Amen. John 4, 23, speaking to this as well, it says, But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. The hour is coming, and now is. Let me tell you, if it was the hour 2,000 years ago, it is absolutely the hour today. Jesus is coming back soon. And I want to be found worshiping. Do you? Do you want to be found worshiping the king? I absolutely do. It says, true when true worshipers. You know, I think that speaks to something too. True worshipers. If, if there's a variation between true and false worship, that means there are people who don't really worship. True worshipers means that there is a, a real, a genuine worship and a counterfeit worship present. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. The Father is looking for the worship of those who worship in spirit and in truth. I want to talk about those for just a couple of minutes. Spirit and truth. Spirit, I believe, worship in spirit, just to give you some some maybe definition or, or some idea of what that looks like. I believe it's this. Worship in the spirit is worship from our heart. Worship from the deep part of us, from our spirit, a spirit that's alive unto God. You know, I think the problem in in this hour when Jesus said this is there were people that were worshiping, but they were doing it with a dead spirit, a spirit that wasn't alive unto God. They, They haven't received Jesus. I believe our spirit has to receive Jesus in order for us to worship him. Don't you believe that? So we have to have received Jesus to worship in spirit. But I also believe that if we're worshiping from our spirit, another word that we've we've in the past used to kind of define the spirit is our heart. You know, Jesus made our spirit alive. Well, have you ever heard someone say Jesus came into your heart? Or like you described it that way to a kid. It's, it's like that part of us, that innermost part of us, our spirit, our heart. We, we kind of interchange those out. So our heart, the deepest part of us, I believe to worship there, it has to be real, it has to be genuine, and it has to to be meaningful. You know, spirit worship is different than intellect worship. Spirit worship isn't just, I'm thinking about God right now, and and I'm saying these words because everyone else is saying them. Or I'm doing this thing because, you know, it just, it makes sense to me. Spirit worship is, is faith worship. Spirit worship is, I, I am alive unto God. I have a relationship with God. My spirit is connected to him. I have the Holy Spirit in me. And because I'm alive in that way, I can worship in a real, genuine, deep kind of way. Spirit worship is different than intellect worship. And I think we can worship things with our mind in a way that we, we can't with our spirit. And I think that's how, you know, we, we can make other things gods. God said, have no other gods before me. I think intellect worship is how we get there. I give something so much praise, so much value, so much priority in my mind that it becomes an object of worship with my mind. Well, my spirit can't attach to that because that thing's not alive. My spirit can only worship things that have a spirit. But my mind can get sucked into worshiping something else. That's why Romans 12 verse 2 says, renew your mind. Transform your mind. It's because when we renew our mind and bring it in line with our spirit, we will be worshiping accurately in spirit and in truth. Let me speak to the word truth for just a moment. This is that, I think truth has that part of intellect along with it. I believe that to worship in truth is to worship in understanding. To worship not only in mind, but heart. And I think, you know, I've, I've listened to my grandfather preach some, and he used to tell the story about um, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus and how he started carrying that scripture around with him, put it in his pocket, and at the start of the day, he, you know, he'd take it out and read it, and he'd just say, my God shall supply all my needs by the riches according to Christ Jesus, and then he put it away. 
And he, he read it more intently than that, okay? I'm not doing his story justice. And then he pulled it out again and read it again. And he said, as the day went on, no longer did he just register those words in his mind, but they became something that was true in his heart. And that's what we have to do with the word of God if we're going to worship in truth, is we have to take the word from, from English letters in a book and get them in our heart where there is truth on the inside of us. That's worship in spirit and truth, is worship from the heart. Worship that's genuine and done with an understanding of the word. Do you believe that this morning? And do you believe that we were created to be instruments of worship to the Lord our God? I had a couple more on this point. I think I've got time maybe for one more and then I will stop. Romans 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I beseech you therefore brethren. He's saying, I am asking you earnestly brethren, please brothers in Christ do this. By God's mercy, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. Sacrifice was a form of worship. Sacrifice was part of worship. You know, um, in other verses we read that our, our song, our, the praise of our lips is a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. Well, here in Romans 12, Paul's writing to the Romans and he says, I am asking you, brothers, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this, this could be taken way out of context and distorted to mean something it doesn't. Let me tell you what this is saying. I believe that when it says, present your body, present our bodies a living sacrifice. He's not talking necessarily about my physical body, about my flesh. He's talking about your life on earth. He's talking about this period of time, the, this, this physical life we live on earth before we get to eternity. Sacrifice that life. Sacrifice that body. Sacrifice that flesh. This is kind of what we were talking about at, at the time of tithing offering this morning. Where I am looking forward to eternity in heaven in such a way that I'm willing to lay myself down today. I give myself up. I give, I give my life up as a sacrifice. Whether that looks like singing or working or praying or lounging or studying or communicating, all of those things can be done in sacrifice. All of those elements of our life on earth can be done in a way that is sacrificial to God. Giving up what my flesh wants, giving up you know, what, what I as an unsaved person might have wanted for what God wants. This is one of my purposes as an instrument of God is that I give up myself in worship. I make a sacrifice of my life in worship. You know, I thought about sacrifice. We could say it's this letting go of my flesh for God's honorable work. I like that way of saying it. Letting go of my flesh for God's honorable work. You know, when we see the end result, not just eternity, but the work God wants to do through our sacrifice, I believe it makes it so much easier to lay down the things that I want, would want to do, to, to lay down the things that my flesh might want to do, and rather pick up those things that my spirit wants, those things that the part of me that's connected to God, that it would want. It's much easier to pick those up when I understand the honorable work that they contribute to. If you want to come up, we, we're, going to, we're going to just close out service today. With Ephesians 5.2, I think I want to read this scripture and then we're going to pray and wrap up today. It says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. I believe this is what sacrificing... Our life, as he says, presenting your body as a living sacrifice. I think, I think Ephesians 5, 2 is what that looks like. I believe uh, sacrificing my body, my, my life, looks like this. Walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Walking in love is worship to God. And I believe it, it 
I, I thought it this way. I saw it this way. Your love walk is your worship. Your love walk is your worship. The way you walk in love towards other people and towards God is the way you worship Him with your life. That's the way that I give my body as a sacrifice. And what is written here in Ephesians 5.2 is that it is for a sweet-smelling aroma. Using our example of instruments, a sweet song. This is the kind of, of, of work. This is the kind of doing. This is the, this is the instrument. Me being played as an instrument that sounds good to God. And you know, if I'm going to be an instrument in God's house, I want to be the sweetest sounding instrument that I can possibly be. Don't you? Do you want to be a sweet sounding, sweet smelling aroma kind of instrument for God? Well, I believe this morning, you know, we only looked at two of the four, but I believe they were good. Do you believe that? That we're supposed to be carriers of the spirit and worshipers in spirit and truth, both with the praise of our lips, but also with our love walk, which is, I believe, our worship, laying our body down as a sacrifice for our God. Amen. Well, this morning, let's wrap up by praying and just giving God a moment of worship here. Lord, we thank you. For this word, we thank you that we have been loved by you first before we ever did anything that, that would earn us love, God. Anything that could possibly contribute to, to us having a better life or having righteousness, God, before any of that happened, you first loved us. And so we thank you for that first, Lord. We thank you for your love. We're so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us so that we might have righteousness. We might be brought back into your family, Lord. You're so good, God. And, and the sacrifice you made sending Jesus is one we could never have earned and something we will never repay. God, I thank you and am also humbled as I, I believe many of us are this morning that we're thankful that you sent your son, but we're also humbled to know that that was something we could never earn or repay, Lord. It is only by your love, by God who is love, who is defined by love, that such a thing can happen. So we thank you, Lord, this morning. We thank you and are humbled by your sacrifice of sending Jesus so that we could be purchased. Thank you for loving us, Lord. We also thank you, God, that you have given purpose. It is our heart that makes the plans, Lord, but it is you who provides the purpose. You created us with purposes in mind. And so, Lord, this morning, as we've looked at two of those purposes, Lord, vessels made to carry the Holy Spirit and people created to worship, I pray this morning, Lord, that you would show us how we can make our plans in line with your purpose. Help us to do that successfully as we live as Christians. Help us, Lord, to make our plans according to your purpose. Help us to plan our life in the reality that I'm an instrument in God's house designed to carry the Spirit. And help me to do that in each and every day. Lord, help me to make my plans, understanding that I am an instrument designed to worship, both with my praises, with my song, but also with my love walk. Help me to plan my life in a way where I can walk in love and be the sweet-smelling aroma that you desire for me to be. Lord, let my life as your instrument be honoring to you be a sweet smelling aroma for you God I pray that you would lead us in doing this Holy Spirit because you are on the inside of us that have received Christ I pray that we would be led how to make plans God give us direction in planning our steps so that they come into line with your purpose Lord we desire to do that this morning and we give you opportunity to speak we listen whether we hear it in this moment right now or we hear it later on Lord we live a life knowing that we carry your spirit that we are the very temple of God and that you want to manifest through us Lord not only for the world out there but for us too Lord for the profit of all and that includes us God I pray that as we seek your plan or as we make our plan around your purpose, we would be led in how to do that well. So that we can come into line with your purpose, be the aroma, and change this world. Build this world for your kingdom. 
you. If you believe that this morning, I just want you to repeat this after me. Lord, I am your instrument. Thank you for purpose. I will make my plans according to that purpose. Have your way in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do I have a bunch of glad instruments here this morning? Are you happy to be used by God? Amen. I know I am. They're going to close us out with a song, a chorus this morning. You are dismissed. Go and be blessed. Be the instrument of God. Worship, carry the Spirit, and change the world for Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a wonderful day.